my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 496. Welcome into the podcasting pickup truck. Hope you're doing very, very well. Um, I want to start with this today. I want to start by saying this. I do kind of hate the preseason, and I will admit it's been a pretty interesting preseason as far as preseasons go. You've had some pretty good football. The backups are playing well. There are some interesting backup quarterbacks playing and playing at a fairly high level. Kenny Pickett's been fun to watch. Uh, Desmond Ritter's been fun to watch. There's been a lot of good stuff, and as far as preseasons go, it's been better than most. Um, But, like, I'll be honest, it's really hard to know how valuable what I'm watching really is, and I'm just waiting for the regular season. It's been a it's been a weird preseason for me. I'm not that interested. I I watch what happens, and I'm like, I don't know what to say about this because you're watching vanilla defenses and you're playing with backups. For example, Tua Tungavaloa is playing without Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. So like, how much do you how much stock do you put into how he's doing and I don't know, man. It leads me to a question on Patreon. If you want to write into the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You can write into the podcast just like Steve did. Steve wrote in on Patreon. He said, hey, Zach, hot take. I love the NFL, but absolutely despise the preseason. The biggest stories that ever come out of the preseason are stars or exciting young players getting injured. The games are meaningless, which makes it impossible to actually care about and even watch them. More importantly, they prove absolutely nothing. Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis are not franchise quarterbacks because they had a good preseason game, and their performance doesn't impact whether they can or cannot be. For example, the 2017 Cleveland Browns went 4-0 in the preseason behind strong quarterback play from Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, and Kevin Hogan, only to finish 0-16 and not have any of those players on the roster the next year. Is there any way to make it at least somewhat interesting, or is it always going to be this way due to the nature of the NFL? The only real use of the preseason from the players, uh, the only real use of the preseason is for the coaches to determine the backups from the players who get cut. Love the podcast, and there's plenty of fun lettuce in Cleveland waiting for you whenever you're in town. Next time I'm in Cleveland, we'll get together. Steve, thank you for writing in. Remember, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler to write into the podcast. The preseason is so annoying for me. I don't hate it. It's been good. Malik Willis has been so fun to watch in Tennessee. I get excited when I watch him. Like, he's dynamic. He's exciting. We'll talk about it in a moment. But you see important players getting hurt. That's tragic and brutal. Um, like, like... A lot of linemen are going down with really bad knee injuries. Uh, Zach Wilson, the Jets' starting quarterback, tore his meniscus. That was a terrifying moment if you were a Jets fan. And then backups are playing. You're watching vanilla defenses, meaning that, and and frankly, vanilla offenses too. Uh, I know that the Miami Dolphins are going to use way more motions than we saw during the preseason because they are not trying to give away all their tricks and show everything they got planned for the regular season. You got Tua Tungavaloa playing without Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. You've got all kinds of stuff. You're like, I don't, I don't know. I, there's not a lot of value here to be gleaned from this. How good is this player based on this? I don't really know. And yes, the preseason helps teams know 
which players to cut. It helps you evaluate players a little bit further. So there is some value to the preseason. It's not completely meaningless, but it's there's not a lot of value for you and me. There's value for NFL general managers and decision makers making final cuts on the roster. Um, and you do also see some cool stories, guys like Cavante Turpin. But I, I and I, I want to give a shout out to him in a moment. But first of all, like you don't need the preseason for guys to get an opportunity to show what they can do. Maybe that's the role of the XFL and the USFL. We've got other leagues popping up around in the professional football space. And maybe we don't need the preseason for guys to show what they can do. Like I said, the XFL is coming up. That's going to be a great opportunity for guys to show what they can do in the spring next year. And guys who stand out in the spring could get opportunities in the NFL. And maybe we can replace the NFL preseason with something like the XFL or the USFL. But again, I want to give a shout out to the Cowboys returner, Cavante Turpin. He was the USFL MVP for 2022. He had two return touchdowns uh, against the LA Chargers during the preseason. He had a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And then an 86-yard punt return for a touchdown And it wasn't, like, just bad coverage. It was him making people miss and having incredible return skills. And that's impressive. It was impressive stuff. It was fun to watch. I love seeing that. He's 26 years old. He played college football at TCU. Now he's playing for the Dallas Cowboys after a stint in the USFL. That's a great story. I love that. That's the rare moment you're like, hey, this is really cool to see in the preseason. And that's the good side of the preseason that I love to see. That being said... I would not mind seeing the NFL entirely get rid of the NFL preseason altogether. I like how college football does it. I believe it's Oregon and Georgia playing each other week one of college football. Bo Nix against a team he knows pretty well, Georgia. There's no preseason. Week one, you better figure it out. I like that. I think that's really cool. I want more of that. I don't know why we need three dress rehearsals for the NFL to get ready for week one. I just don't buy that. Um, I think you can have scrimmages. You you can figure out who to have on your roster in other ways other than having these boring, not very exciting games. I don't think they're going to get rid of it entirely. I think it it is too valuable for the teams. They like it too much. They like using it to evaluate people. And there's a spider here. Hold on. Either the spider's dead or gone, but I'm going to move on. It's happy. There was a spider right there, and I saw him. And he is no more. He's either dead or gone. I hope you know I'm terrified of spiders. I just killed a spider live in the podcast. So uh, I want you to appreciate me for that. But, uh, oh, oh, I don't feel good at all. Okay. Um, I, I'm glad this year we only have a three-game preseason. And I'm a professional podcaster. We're just going to power right through this, the spider killing. Um, I'm glad it's only a three-game preseason. I... I if we got rid of preseason entirely, you would miss out on young guys making a name for themselves. And and that's sad. But again, like I said, you can use the XFL or the USFL, these other leagues in the spring to do that. Uh, you also have lots of training camp and practice. You don't need something public for you and me to watch for NFL evaluators uh, and decision makers uh, on football teams to figure out who can play and who can't. You don't need preseason games to do that. I'm just convinced that's not necessary. Uh, Maybe if you do cut the preseason, you cut it down to two games. Although my fear, if you do that, you're going to get an extra regular season game, which you really do not need. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I don't think the NFL preseason is going anywhere, and I don't think they're going to make a change. I, I will say that in light of what I just said, I, I'd like the preseason gone altogether. Uh, three games isn't bad, though. I actually really like the way the NFL schedule worked out this year. Uh, you know, the last preseason game is Sunday, August 28th. And the regular season isn't going to start until September 8th. So you got a 10-day break. That is a weekend off. Um, you know, the season doesn't start until a Thursday. So you really have a full week. And then for most teams, two weeks, really, you know, a week and a, a little more than that to prepare. It's really 14 days between the last game and the first Sunday of the week, uh, first Sunday of the regular season. I really like that. Um, it's not too bad. But I I would not mind entirely seeing the NFL get rid of the preseason. All right. We talked about that. We talked about the preseason. People keep writing in. What do you think of the preseason? It's hard for me. I don't know. Malik Willis is fun to watch. And Kenny Pickett's killing it. But against vanilla defenses and not a lot of disguise stuff. And I don't know. I'm ready for real football that we can evaluate and judge and not have to second guess and hesitate to make judgments on preseason games. Cause I just, I don't really know. I, I see good stuff. I see bad stuff, but I don't trust anything I see during the preseason. And uh, as a consumer and as someone who writes about it, I have a hard time evaluating and it's weird for me. Now we've talked about the preseason. Let's talk about something that, uh, is juicy. You know, I, you've heard of first take that's Stephen A. Smith. You've heard of worst take. That's a friend of the show. Uh, we'll call this last take because I'm the last person to talk about it. That's fine. Um, Dana White, the president of the UFC, told a wild story during UFC 278. It's funny. Rob Gronkowski and Dana White are talking. And it, it's, by the way, it's split screen. They're talking in two different screens. And in the background, there's literally a fight going on, like kind of on the side. Nobody cares about the fight because Rob Gronkowski is interviewing Dana White and Gronk is encouraging Dana to tell the story. And it's just funny. I keep seeing videos of this moment and there's like a fight happening in the background that I don't, I don't know who's fighting. I don't care at all. I, I wasn't invested in the fight. I was there for what Dana White said, but I just want to point out it is kind of funny that in the background of this entire clip is two men fighting that is just being completely ignored by everyone. Now, here's what happened. Apparently, Dana White had a deal ready to get Tom Brady and Gronk to go play in Vegas for the Raiders. And, uh, you know, according to Dana White, Tom Brady was already looking at houses, which I don't know. Apparently, he was looking at houses. That doesn't really mean a lot to me because you just open up Zillow. Anyone can open their phone and look at houses. Um, but the year Tampa won the Super Bowl... With Tom Brady, Tom Brady could have been on the Raiders instead. That is what we learned. And the reason why that didn't happen was because Raiders head coach John Gruden, among other reasons, but the reason we're what we're told is Dana White says, hey, John Gruden blew up the deal. Quote, he said, John Gruden blew up the deal. That's the quote. And I will be totally honest. I don't find this very compelling. Uh... I believe it wholeheartedly. I believe that Dana White's telling the truth. I believe Dana White put together a deal and was trying to get Tom Brady to come to Vegas. He's from Boston. He lives in Vegas. Brady did go to a UFC fight. Like, I, I'm not 
surprised at all to hear this news that apparently there were conversations behind the scenes about Brady going to the Raiders. And Tom Brady gave this really spicy quote on a show. Um, you know, it's called The Shop. Uh, one team was interested and then suddenly they weren't interested at the very end. And he said, quote, you're sticking with that, MFR. In free agency, one of the teams, they were interested, and all of a sudden, they weren't interested at the very end. I was sitting there thinking, you're sticking with that, <laughs> Are you serious? Then Brady goes on to say that who knows if he even would have actually chosen that team, but it hurt that they didn't want him. I get it. It makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. When sure. I look back, I'm like, there's no way I would have went to that team. <laughs> but they said they didn't want me, and I know what that means. I know what that feels like, and I'm going to you up because of that. You can watch the full clip. There's an HBO show called The Shop. Uh, it's available on YouTube as well. LeBron, I think, owns it and took it off of HBO, put it on YouTube. You can find it if you want to find it. But here is why I don't care that much about this entire story. Tom Brady wasn't a great fit for the Raiders. And frankly, the Raiders were not a great fit for Tom Brady. Tom Brady needed a team that was loaded with talent and ready to win a Super Bowl. Tampa was exactly what Tom Brady needed. The Raiders were not. So I I don't know that Tom Brady would have won a Super Bowl if he'd gone to the Raiders. And at the time for the Raiders, getting rid of their young stud quarterback, Derek Carr, for an older Tom Brady in my opinion, would have been a step backwards. I know that's weird to say because theoretically Tom Brady's better than Derek Carr, but it's not Madden. You're not just working on paper. You also got to factor in the future and what's best for the franchise long-term and stuff like that. And this might be kind of weird, but I actually agree with John Gruden that I think he did the right thing by sticking with Derek Carr instead of Tom Brady. If they had brought Tom Brady in, Things would not have gone as well as he did in Tampa, first of all, right? Antonio Brown would not have come. He already went to the Raiders. It didn't work with John Gruden. He already left. So there would have been no Antonio Brown. You would have, the Raiders would have had an older quarterback and sacrificed their future. And I, I just, I don't really know why we're having this discussion as if I, I've heard people say, can you believe John Gruden didn't want Tom Brady? Yes. Yes, I can. Derek Carr is not a, a, a worthless quarterback. He's younger. He's your future. And again, the Raiders would not have given Tom Brady what he really wanted, a team that was able to win a Super Bowl immediately. He got that in Tampa. He wouldn't have got that in Vegas. The, the most notable part of this entire story, this juicy thing that Dana White put out there, is Tom Brady calling Derek Carr an MFer. I mean, we assume he meant Derek Carr. I think it's pretty easy to assume. Yeah, the team that pulled out last minute was the Raiders. And you're sticking with that guy, basically. That's the quote from Tom Brady. It's not even that compelling. You're sticking with that guy? That's what Tom Brady said, actually. He, yes, insert the word mf -er, but I don't know about you. I, in my everyday life, when I'm not in a professional setting, I say mf -er all the time. I'm just saying that guy, basically. And... Is it really a shock that Tom Brady thinks he's better than Derek Carr? Of course he does. To be Tom Brady, you have to have absolute confidence. And so 
the more I think about it, the more it's the only controversy here really is that I think Derek Carr is an awesome quarterback and I think he was right for the Raiders long-term. And that might be weird to say that might be controversial. People think if you get Tom Brady, you take him automatically and maybe it's good for business for the Raiders to have gotten Derek Carr. But I just think things worked out for everybody. Like the way things turned out, uh, John Gruden got fired for non-football stuff. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. Uh, Brady would have been unhappy in Vegas, I believe, because he wouldn't have won as much as he wanted to. And Derek Carr is going to be the Raiders quarterback long after Tom Brady retires. So I just, it's a juicy story at first to go, oh my goodness, John Gruden could have had Tom Brady then said no. But I, the more I think about it, the more I go, yeah, of course he did. Ooh, Tom, you know, John Gruden said no to Brady. Ooh, Tom Brady called someone Derek Carr an MFer. But the more you think about the story, the less it matters and the less I care. And I just, I don't find it very compelling. I, I know that's weird to say. It's certainly notable and interesting that the Raiders could have had Tom Brady and decided not to move on him. But that's an outcome that wouldn't have been very interesting. In the world of infinite possibilities, alternate dimensions will say there's an alternate dimension out there where Tom Brady did go to the Raiders and I think it was less interesting and less fun and he would have won less in Vegas than he did in Tampa and I just felt like okay that's a potential reality we could be living in that's not as exciting as the one we live in now and I, I, I find it not very compelling now here's another Tom Brady non-story Tom Brady recently took 11 days off from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp. He left uh, for a while, then he came back. He was gone for 11 total days. Does it matter that Tom Brady took 11 days off of training camp? No. It doesn't matter at all. In fact, if anything, Tom Brady taking time off is going to help him be better this year in the NFL as a quarterback. Remember... Back in the day when Tom Brady, you know, years ago now, <laughs> remember when Tom Brady got suspended for Deflategate? He missed the first four games of the 2016 regular season. He was suspended for four games. That year, he went on to win the Super Bowl. He beat Atlanta. They were down 28-3 in the Super Bowl. He beat Atlanta that year. To me, it's a non-starter because... You're telling me you think Tom Brady can't afford to miss a couple days of training camp? If anything, it was probably good for him. He's an old guy. He's 45 years old. Helped him rest, probably. I will say, I would imagine that the length of his career is putting some strain on his marriage, for sure. I would imagine when Giselle married Tom Brady, she did not, in her wildest dreams, imagine he would still be playing football at 45 years old. Plus, he did actually retire. She thought he was done, and then he went back. So I, I think for Tom Brady to take some time with his family or, quote, to deal with a personal matter, that, that's not a big deal at all. It was reported he was apparently in the Bahamas with his wife. Uh, also during that time, because of how Tampa's practice schedule works out with veteran rest days, he actually only missed three practices anyway. And it's not like Tom Brady was going to play during the preseason, I think more guys would take a break like Tom Brady did if they could. If, if guys could swing it, these veteran players who've got a lot of leverage, 
more guys would do a 11-day break like that if they could get away with it. Tom Brady can do whatever he wants. He's Tom stinking Brady. And I don't know, man. Go read about what he did. Go watch the man in the arena. He talks about taking a hiatus from football during that four-game suspension. He went on a vacation with his wife. It was amazing. He felt rejuvenated. He felt better than ever. He came back and had an incredible year and won a Super Bowl that year. So Tom Brady was recharging before the long haul that is football season. It's not a big deal at all. And, and anyone who tells you Tom Brady was gone from training camp, oh, 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 it doesn't matter at all. It's weird to me. We're making a big deal about it. Not everybody is. A lot of people are going, yeah, it's Tom Brady. Do what he wants. But think about it logically. You think Tom Brady can't afford to miss a couple days of training camp this many years into his career? It's totally fine. It's not a big deal. And anyone who tells you that's a big story is just, I think, wrong and kind of silly and trying to trump up drama and news because that's not really a story I find compelling either. It's a non-story to me. Yes, Tom Brady left training camp. Is it a big deal? No. Okay, we've dealt with that. We dealt with the Tom Brady, Dana White stuff. We dealt with Tom Brady uh, taking 11 days off during training camp. How about something I find very exciting? The XFL did something that I absolutely love. They hired quarterback coach Jordan Palmer as their, quote, director of quarterback development. He's a former NFL quarterback. He's the brother of Carson Palmer. He played in the NFL for a long time. I got to open something real quick so I can find in my favorites. There we go. I've got a couple screenshots I want to read here. Uh, I actually met Jordan Palmer once a long time ago at a Nike camp in high school. Uh... Jordan Palmer trains a lot of the biggest names in the NFL. Most notably are uh, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. He does draft prep. In my opinion, Jordan Palmer is the best in the business when it comes to helping young quarterbacks prepare for their time as professionals. And I think for the XFL, this move is smart and creative. It's good for quarterback play. Quarterback play is vital for the XFL to succeed as a league. And I don't exactly know. They, the XFL did spell it out. I'll read that in a moment. I don't exactly know what it means to be the director of quarterback development. But I'll tell you what the XFL said their plan is for that. I think it's really cool. Um, and I will say this. Every young quarterback who gets to work with Jordan Palmer is going to benefit. So I, I love this. And here's what the XFL said when they hired Jordan Palmer. They said, the hardest position to play in all the sports is quarterback. And we recognize how crucial quarterbacks will be to our game. That's why we've brought 15 years of gridiron experience in Jordan Palmer on board, and we are starting their development in September. Let's get to work. So that's what the XFL said. Uh, they did put out what their plan is and how they intend to use Jordan Palmer. Here's what the XFL said about how they plan on using Jordan Palmer in that role of director of quarterback development. They said, in this role, Jordan Palmer will work with the coaching staff from each XFL team to create a thoughtful and advanced quarterback development program. By combining the physical therapy, strength training, and position coaching from each team into one program, XFL quarterbacks will develop a deeper understanding of their game than ever before. Through the months of September to December, the XFL quarterbacks will work with Jordan Palmer and focus on movement, efficiency, and throwing mechanics. In addition, the XFL quarterbacks will be provided with an actionable plan for continuous development opportunities throughout the offseason 
and establish consistent remote consulting with Jordan Palmer and his team. So they have a plan. They're going to use from September to December, guys not playing in the NFL who are going to plan to play in the XFL, get access to Jordan Palmer and his advice, his thoughts, his regimen. That's really cool. I really like that. Here's what Jordan Palmer said himself about the move. He said, XFL country, let's ride. Just kidding. He's making fun of Russell Wilson. He said, uh, for real though, from the first call, this was something I not only believed in, but I wanted to put time into. Even deeper, this is the league I needed 15 years ago. I signed with the UFL and the Arena League in search of an opportunity and a place to get better. I didn't find it there. I'm so proud to announce I'm going to be the director of quarterback development at the XFL, and we are going to build their premier league for quarterbacks to develop and get snaps they need. Here's what I want to say, man. I I applaud the XFL. Well done. This is so creative. It's thoughtful. It's cool. It's an outside-the-box idea to get one of the best minds in the quarterback world working with the guys in your league, and they desperately need it. It's awesome. Again, like the XFL said, hey, good quarterback play is crucial to their success as a league. And I really only wonder whose idea was this. Did Jordan Palmer approach the XFL? Did they approach him? I don't really know. Uh, I I know that this gives him something to do during the NFL season because his downtime really is September to December uh, before... Uh, guys are getting ready for, because when the college season ends, he then starts helping guys prepare for their pro day and the NFL combine. Uh, so from September to December, there's a gap in Jordan Palmer's schedule. Now he's got something to, something to do during that time too. I think it's really cool. I wouldn't be shocked if he approached them, but either way, I think the foresight and the outside the box thinking for the XFL to realize and recognize the value in someone like Jordan Palmer and wanting to hire him. It's so awesome. It's so smart. I applaud them. I think it's really, really cool. Um, and, and I'm really excited to see where this goes because I think, man, there, there's just so many young quarterbacks out there who need help. And uh, I, I'm very, very excited to watch the impact Jordan Palmer can have on the young quarterbacks in the XFL. And I, I want the XFL to be awesome. I cannot wait. I'm so pumped. And uh, man, I just, it's such a cool, creative move. And I, it almost makes you wonder like you know I know The Rock is really close friends with Kevin Hart is there anything Kevin Hart can do to help the XFL maybe he can show up to a game and promote it I like it's a one-off thing because Kevin Hart's a busy guy Uh, this is this is me getting off the rails now having fun with it can Kevin Hart do play-by-play color commentary for just one XFL game I guarantee that's going to bring a lot of eyeballs. You promote the heck out of that. It's a one-time, one-and-done thing. People are going to tune in. Hey, The Rock, you're the owner of the XFL. Pull some strings. Hire Kevin Hart for a one-day gig to just BS on top of an XFL game. I would watch that in a heartbeat. And uh, I know you guys are buddies. I I know he'd take the money. He loves football. He was there when Philly won the Super Bowl. I, I, I would just, man, please... Is there a way you're using connections and friends everywhere? Can have, can Kevin Hart be of service? Can Kevin Hart help the XFL in any way? That's a weird thought, but I I don't know. I, I would watch Kevin Hart talking over a live XFL game. That sounds quite entertaining to me. I think of, was it Dennis Miller? Is that the name of the comedian who did Monday Night Football a long time ago? Didn't work out very well, but I 
hey, I would love to see Kevin Hart talk over a live football game. That sounds hilarious and fun. And um, The Rock, make it happen. He's your buddy. You're in movies with him all the time. Pull some strings. You pay him handsomely. He loves football anyway. That's, a, that's an interesting thought I think would be really fun to see pursued. Okay. Um, I have a video on my computer I want to share. I've mentioned it before. Uh, I have it saved on my desktop. It's been there for months. It's a video file. Uh, it's saved with this title. It says, Why No One Wants Jimmy G. And I've mentioned it before. People keep asking about it. Like, what What? What was that? What are you talking about? I, I meant to put it in, the, like, an episode. I think the very last episode, which I recorded, like, two weeks ago or something. Uh, I, I meant to put that overlaid in that episode. I forgot to do that. So here we are. Let's do it now. Um... It's a really bad, ugly interception Jimmy Garoppolo threw against the Indianapolis Colts last year. It's kind of a funny joke that I have it on my my desktop. It's like a reminder to me. Uh, and every every joke has at least a grain of truth in it. And I, I call this, again, why no one wants Jimmy G. It's just a reminder. Everyone's telling me how great Jimmy Garoppolo is. He's good for the Seahawks. Yet. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I think you're forgetting the level of mediocrity. Jimmy Garoppolo can play the quarterback position with. I respect him. He's awesome. But do we really need to be levying for the Seattle Seahawks to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think so. And ah, we'll see. By the way, Geno Smith got named at the starting quarterback in Seattle. Sounds about right. And you know who's really disappointing, in my opinion? Drew Locke. They they acquired Drew Locke in a trade with Denver. I don't know what that guy's doing. In the offseason. I don't know how he's not prepared to play in the NFL. But Drew Locke just doesn't have it, man. He's got a great arm. He throws a great ball. And he's a terrible decision maker. And I, it seems like he's bad on and off the field at making decisions and being a professional and preparing for moments. And um, I, I don't really get it. I don't know why Drew Locke can't figure it out. I don't know what he's doing in the offseason. I, I just don't know why he seems unable to play at a professional level very consistently. And that's unfortunate to me. But anyway, uh, Geno Smith is the starting quarterback in Seattle. I think he's better than people realize. He's going to be boring and not that exciting, but whatever. Um, I think Geno Smith is going to be... he He's the right guy for that job. Geno Smith, um, here's the thing, man. Your team in Seattle probably knows Geno Smith is the best quarterback in the building. I mean the locker room. If Pete Carroll had made Drew Locke their starting quarterback, it would have felt really very much like the wrong thing because I, I don't know, man. I, I just can't imagine the locker room feel, feels good about Drew Locke at this point. And you got to try to win games. Geno Smith is your best quarterback. If you play the guy who's clearly not the best quarterback in your locker room, you're going to have people that lose faith in your program, lose faith in you as a coach. And with Geno Smith clearly being the best guy for the job, in Seattle. You got to go with him. Um, I think Seattle's going to be boring and average and not that great. They're going to have a kind of a ineffective, boring offense, but I respect Geno Smith a lot. And they're going to draft a guy like Bryce Young out of Alabama uh, in the first round of the NFL draft coming up this next spring. Okay. Um, hey guys, it's time for sports screenshots. It's a segment I really like. I see interesting stuff on Instagram. Uh, and I share it here on Sports Screenshots. Screenshot number one today, if I can open my... I've got 
a lot of stuff to show you guys on my phone today, so I got a bunch of different stuff. Screenshot number one is a story about a Patriots player who, a former Patriot, crashed his car to avoid being cut. This was posted by ESPN NFL. Apparently, uh, Rich Ornberger, who I guess played for the Patriots at some point, I've never heard of him, but I believe him, said, he. here's quote, he said, I'm going to hit this car. It's better to pay the insurance than embarrass myself by being late for a Patriots team meeting. So he said, look, I know if I'm late to a meeting, I'm going to get cut. The only way I'm going to get away with being late is if I get into a car accident. So I'm going to crash my car and just pay the insurance because that's better than losing my job. Honestly, kind of a smart move. That's a good save. Hey, it's your get out of jail free card. I'll pay the insurance, but I'm not going to lose my job because I'm late to a meeting and Hey, fair enough, man. Rich Ornberger. Look, everybody in New England seems like a really smart person and a smart football player, and this is just more confirmation of that smart, interesting move by this player who played for the Patriots at some point. I've never heard of him, but I believe him. Okay. Screenshot number two. It's about Kyler Murray. In 2018, this is posted by CBS Sports. In 2018, Kyler Murray was drafted by the Oakland Athletics. Now, today, in 2022... Kyler Murray's new average yearly annual salary after getting a massive new contract from the Arizona Cardinals, his new average annual salary is $46.1 million. The entire payroll of the Oakland A's, the Oakland A's entire payroll is $48.5 million. Basically, Kyler Murray is making him the same amount of money per year as the entire roster of the Oakland Athletics, the baseball team that drafted him. Remember when people said, why would Kyler Murray choose football? He can make more money as a baseball player. False. Totally wrong at this point. I love seeing this. It's interesting. Uh, Maybe true for a lot of athletes, not the quarterback position. The quarterback position makes stupid amounts of money. And, uh, Hey, we're just seeing, I I like, that's interesting to me that Kyler Murray proving people wrong. Uh, Screenshot number three. This was posted by Adam Schefter. Uh, Compensation update. The Ravens are giving Pro Bowl kicker Justin Tucker a four-year, $24 million extension that includes $17.5 million guaranteed and an $11.5 million signing bonus. He is now the NFL's highest paid kicker. Um good for Justin Tucker. This is an old story. I wanted to talk about it though. It's just interesting. Uh, you know, they paid their kicker before they paid Lamar Jackson. What's up with that? That's interesting to me, but he, he might be the greatest kicker of all time. So fair enough. Uh, but, uh, I just, a lot of respect for Justin Tucker. He's an incredible kicker. Uh, I really like him as a person too. He seems like a cool guy and uh, what a pro man. I just, uh, Justin Tucker is going to go down as one of the all time greats, if not the best kicker of all time. Screenshot number four, Kayshawn Boutte. This is something that happened in 2020. I didn't know about this, but as a freshman, December 19, 2020, against Ole Miss, Kayshawn Boutte had 14 catches for 308 yards and three touchdowns as a freshman in a win over Ole Miss where LSU beat Ole Miss 53-48. to He was a key, crucial part of that victory. And to do that as a freshman, granted, your last game as a freshman, so he had a whole year to settle in and get used to it. But man, to do that as a freshman, 14 catches for 308 yards 
and three touchdowns and help lift your team to victory. That's unbelievable. And uh, Keishon Butte, what a cool performance. I didn't even know about this. I saw this on CBS, or I guess the Checkdown posted this, and I was like, what? That's unbelievable. Good for Keishon Butte. Really cool, interesting, weird story. Screenshot number five. Uh, this is from 24-7 Sports. Wake Forest star quarterback Sam Hartman is, quote, out indefinitely ahead of the 2022 football season due to a non-football condition. Very sad. We don't know what happened. They're, they're being very private. My mind goes all kinds of directions, is it? I'm not even going to say it. I feel like it's disrespectful to even speculate what it could be. Um, but Sam Hartman had something go wrong. And uh, Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman is not going to play football this fall because of some kind of non-football medical procedure that took place. Although, Wake Forest head coach the other day just said this. This is uh, He said they are optimistic that we are going to have him back this year. So, Wake Forest still does believe that Sam Hartman could play for them this fall. I don't even know if that's best for him because I think if he doesn't play this fall, he could gray shirt technically and get an extra year of eligibility on top of the one he already would use this year. So I don't know if that is good for him to come back midseason or not. But the point is I want to see Sam Hartman at some point play for Wake Forest again, whether that's this year or next year. I just I love the guy, big fan of him. Dude's a stud muffin. You ever see pictures of Sam Hartman? Maybe the best looking college football quarterback on the planet. And uh I'm sad the dude's not playing this fall because I, I really was excited to watch him and uh, see what he could do. And he's just, he's a cool story. He was on um, QB1 Under the Lights on Netflix and uh, they've built quite an interesting program down there uh, at Wake Forest. Screenshot number six. I feel like every episode we've got some kind of crazy Tom Brady stat. Here's another one. This one was posted by CBS Sports HQ. Crazy but true. Tom Brady has won the Super Bowl every other year since 2015. In 2015, Tom Brady and the Patriots won the Super Bowl. 2017, won the Super Bowl again with the Patriots. Um, Then in 2019, won the Super Bowl again. And then in 2021, Tom Brady and the Bucs won the Super Bowl. So uh, every other year since 2015, he's won the Super Bowl. Every odd year, 2015, 17, 19, and 2021. Now it's 2023. Could this be Super Bowl number eight for Tom Brady this fall? I don't know, but that's just crazy and insane, and it's worth talking about. Screenshot number seven. Here's a PSA for anyone out there. Uh, I, I put this on my Instagram. I posted this. Be advised, this account is impersonating me and sending messages pretending to be me. There's a person out there, probably in India, no offense, but they're just using really broken English and trying to communicate with people. Uh, the account says Zach Shomler 06. Zach Shomler 06 is an Instagram account. That's not me. They're screenshotting my Instagram posts and then posting, pretending to be me, and messaging people pretending to be me and asking for money. Do not give me money. Do not give someone you think is me money. Uh, certainly don't give a fake account that's not me money. Uh, I have a girlfriend. They're posting about how I'm lonely and sad and want women. I, it's just really frustrating. Instagram won't take it down. So if you get a message from, or frankly, a follower request or anything from a, an Instagram account titled Zach Shomler 6, that is not me. Uh, I can't do anything other than tell you that because I've done everything I can. Instagram will not take it down. They refuse. So 
Uh, I've now told you, hey, I'm being impersonated. Beware. Zach Shomler 06, the Instagram account. That is not me. All right. Um, Jeez. This is something that makes me sad. It's it's real, by the way. Uh, Antonio Brown posted this on his on his Twitter. And this is a real quote that Antonio Brown gave. Antonio Brown said, quote, My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the Jets stadium mid-game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that, like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. That is Antonio Brown on his biggest regret from his NFL career. And he posted this on his Twitter. Now, I want to just check one more time that that's real. Let's go look at Antonio Brown's Twitter. Twitter, Antonio Brown. I just, I want to be sure because I, that seems so insane that he would post that. I want to just double, triple, quadruple check. He really did post that. But I'm like, man, that's a screenshot of his, uh, uh, that I took, by the way. Antonio Brown. Let's let's check his Twitter. I just he Antonio Brown makes me so sad. Yeah, that really is. Oh, this is real. I can't believe he would post that. He he really did. He really did endorse that quote. He said it. He believes it. I, I want to read the end of that. It's like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. Man. <sighs> I saw a, a funny meme today. It said uh, Antonio Brown has agreed to a contract with the Packers. <laughs> the Packers, however, did not agree. Right? Antonio Brown is off in his own stratosphere. Just it's it's disappointing to see a guy fall so far. And it's is it mean to say and wonder is it CTE? Did he get hit in the head too hard? What's going on? He's hanging out with Kanye West, making all kinds of bad decisions, doing lots of cringy stuff, giving crazy quotes. Does he think he's Dennis Rodman? Does he think it's cool? I don't really know. And I I just... The tragic downfall of Antonio Brown is so, so sad. He was one of the best, if not at the time, the best receiver in the entire NFL. And he just fell off his rocker, man. He just totally fell apart. And uh, he's currently unemployed because no team will employ him in the NFL. And that... It's heartbreaking that a guy with so much talent can fall so far. All right. Um, number nine. Screenshot number nine. Deshaun Watson's season just got even worse. Uh, this was posted by Adam Schefter. Brown's starting center. The starting center for the Browns and Nick Harris suffered a likely season-ending knee injury on the second play of Friday night's preseason game against the Jaguars. Uh, that comes from Kevin Stefanski. Um... Yeah, so Nick Harris is out for the year, or at least for a long time. Still waiting on a few new details, but he's on the injured reserve. And uh, I just, I don't get, if you if a guy is a starter in the preseason, do not play him. 
I don't care who you are. Now the Browns don't have a center for the rest of the year. That's a massive deal, and it could have been prevented. Every year, this happens. It's already happened to a couple teams, and I'm, I am telling you, if he's going to start week one for me, that guy is not going to see the field during the entire preseason. That is how serious I am about it. I cannot believe people play anyone of value during the preseason at all. To not have your starting center week one and probably for the rest of the year, it's a massive deal. And uh, it's just frustrating. I see stories like that every year. And I, no, people don't seem to learn, hey, the preseason isn't safe. You cannot play anyone during the preseason. Screenshot number 10. Breaking news. Derwin James and the Chargers have agreed to a massive four-year, $76.4 million contract extension. This average is $19.133 million a year and resets the safety market. Uh, this deal makes Derwin James the highest-paid safety in NFL history. Uh, he did a, a short hold-in, which means he went to training camp and didn't participate because he didn't want to put his body at risk without a new contract, but he was also there, went to meetings, was present and around. Um, and his agent, David Mulchetta, and the Chargers have a deal uh, that's going to get the safety back on the field as soon as possible. That's that's a direct quote from Adam Schefter. Um, I don't have a lot to say here, but I'm happy for Derwin James. I like seeing a guy get paid. People are saying this is a mistake because he gets injured too much. I don't know. Derwin James is a pretty dang good football player. You do whatever the guy wants. And uh, the Chargers lost, roster is absolutely loaded. Listen to what the Chargers have on their football team. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. It goes on and on and on. they got a good offensive line. They've got Gerald Everett at tight end. There is Super Bowl potential on the L.A. Chargers roster, and I cannot wait to see what happens to them this fall. Screenshot number 11, uh, LeBron James got a contract extension. Uh, LeBron James got a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension. Apparently, Patrick Beverly's going to L.A. as well. Uh, a lot of people are complaining LeBron James is overpaid. That's interesting to me. Maybe he is. Uh, I think L.A. got the deal done when they did to just make sure that next year there's no distraction trying to figure out whether or whether or not LeBron James is going to get paid. Um, what I'm really interested in with LeBron is will he win another title in L.A.? I, I don't know. A lot of people are saying he's washed up, he's old, he's overpaid. Time will tell. I'm very curious. Can LeBron James win another NFL or another NBA title before his career comes to an end? Screenshot number 12, the feel-good story of the year. Read this from ESPN. With only one Team Nicaragua parent able to make it to the Little League World Series due to travel and visa issues, the Nicaraguan American community from at least six states have traveled to Williamsport to support their team. I absolutely love to see this. I like seeing Nicaraguans come together to support their young guys uh, they're young boys playing in the Little League World Series. That's awesome. And by the way, Nicaragua is a country that I desperately want to go to someday in my life. I, I really want to go to Central America. I'm learning Spanish. It's important to me to 
I want to be there and be able to talk with the locals and not need to feel like I need a guide or anything. And Nicaragua has this really unique, really cool geographic feature, I guess is the word. It's a gigantic volcanic lake with an island in the middle. And it's like an hour drive from the ocean. I just think it's one of the most cool, unique geographic features on the planet. Look it up. Look up. Go to Nicaragua on Google Maps. There is a lake so big you can't miss it. And there's a volcano in the middle of it. I want to go there. I want to stand on the volcanic island. And I want to go to the city that's on that little island on a lake on the Isthmus, which is Central America. I think it's so cool. It's so interesting. I love geography a lot. And uh, I, I really want to go to Nicaragua, have their food, hang out with the local people, see what it's like there. Uh, I'm sure it's cheap. I'm sure it's dangerous. I don't really care. That sounds fun and exciting to me. That's the life I want to live. Nicaragua. That's why I watch sports right there. A community coming together to support another group of people. That's really cool. I like seeing that. And uh, I don't know. Feel good store of the year. Little League World Series bringing Nicaraguans together. Okay, the final screenshot of the day. Uh, I started, here's how my day started today. I read a Seattle Times article. Julio Rodriguez and the Mariners are finalizing a long-term contract. That was posted by Ryan Divish, uh, a writer for the Seattle Times. I went, whoa, you guys know I've been talking so much about how I love Julio Rodriguez and I, the Mariners broke my heart over and over again by letting great players leave. He's going to be one of the stories another one of these stories where he's a great player who leaves seattle and no that's not what happened the mariners came to a contract agreement breaking news posted by espn julio rodriguez and the mariners are finalizing a long-term contract extension the deal is 210 million dollars over 14 years with the ability to grow up to well over $400 $400 million sources confirmed to ESPN. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness. My Lord and Savior Julio Rodriguez is going to stay in Seattle. He's the face of the franchise. He's my favorite baseball player. The Mariners for me have been like an abusive ex-girlfriend that I know I should stay away from. I know. I know she's bad for me. I know she tears me down. She hurts her mental health. She makes me spend all my money. She breaks my heart. It's horrible. It's a toxic relationship. And yet, I am so fascinated. I have to get a dance with the Seattle Mariners. This this ex-girlfriend of mine that broke my heart over and over again. You guys, I have been fully suckered back in. I'm now, I would even consider myself a Mariners fan again. All my friends keep telling me, this is a different Seattle Mariners. They fired the team president who sucked. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying it. I thought it was gone forever. The Mariners got me back. They did it, guys. I got goosebumps as I'm saying it. I can't believe it. I really do. The Mariners got me back, man. I love Julio Rodriguez. It feels good to say I've got a favorite team. I only have one favorite team in all of sports. I was a Seattle Sonics fan as a kid. They left. They broke my heart. I was a Seattle Mariners fan as a kid. They were terrible. They mismanaged their players. I left. And then I gave up on the Seahawks. I was like, I can't have a, I just can't have a favorite team. And I, I still do not have a favorite football team, thank goodness. I was never that much of a fan of the Seahawks. Anyway, the Sonics are an easy one. They're gone forever. I just say hey, that they that team doesn't exist. I don't miss them. I mean, I miss them, but whatever. But the Mariners are still here. 
They're the team I was most invested in as a kid. I watched every game for like three summers with my grandpa. And Julio Rodriguez, he's going to stay. Oh, man, you guys. That's some of the best news that I never expected to see. I thought he was going to go to the Yankees. I thought he was going to go to the Red Sox. Anywhere. Anywhere that would pay him more money than Seattle. But Seattle coughed up the, coughed up the dough. They paid him a ton of money. He's set for life. And, uh, oh, man, I'm so happy to hear that. Julio Rodriguez staying in Seattle for the next, hopefully, 14 years. Oh, my goodness. Be a lifelong Mariner, Julio. Julio. Julio, we will do anything for you. We love you so much. Keep hitting home runs. Do whatever you want to our city. I don't even live in Seattle, but you can ruin the city. You you just keep playing baseball at a high level. I'll be happy. I cannot believe you chose to stay with us. Makes me so overjoyed. Don't ruin the city. It's already kind of ruined anyway. Um, But uh, anyway, guys, Julio Rodriguez is staying with the Mariners and uh, can't believe it. That's my joy. Makes me so, so stinking happy. All right, guys, I got to take a break and kind of catch my bearings for a second. It's, it is, what time is it? 524 in the morning. It's very early in the morning. We got a lot of episode left to go. We've got like 17 more topics. So I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um... This episode is part one of two. It's a two-parter. I was going to go through all 32 NFL teams today, and that felt like just too long. So I broke it in half. We're doing 16 this episode, 16 next episode. And I want to talk about 16 NFL teams and their starting quarterback. And some teams you talk about their quarterback situation because not every team has a clear and defined starting quarterback. For example... The New York Giants. It's probably going to be Daniel Jones. But we're going to talk about Tyrod Taylor when you talk about the Giants because he's going to maybe play a lot too. And can Daniel Jones really prove himself or not? We'll find out. But I want to be clear. This is a starting point. This is where we're at right now, today, before the year goes on. Because I I this, I want to lay out like my expectations and what I think and what kind of the storylines are for each quarterback going into the year. And we get to track and see how they evolve and change as the year goes on. So I want to talk about each quarterback, uh, the expectations I have for them this fall, what I want from them, the challenges they're going to have to overcome. So this is part one of two of NFL quarterback storylines for each NFL team and their quarterback. Let's start with Miami. I want to talk about Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavaloa. Here's the question. Can Mike McDaniel's offense save Tua? They got a new head coach, Mike McDaniels. He's an offensive genius. He was the 49ers offensive coordinator. And Tua gets to play in this system with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell at receiver. I love Tua. I used to live in Hawaii. Tua is... Grew up in Hawaii. His family's incredible. I'm a fan of him as a person. I'm a fan of him as a quarterback. I just want to see Tua dominate, if I'm totally honest. It's an emotional thing for me. I'm rooting for the guy. But I'm also honest. This is year three. The pressure's on. 
He's a former number five overall pick. He was drafted before Justin Herbert. Yes, Miami, the Dolphins drafted Tua instead of drafting Justin Herbert. And I'm sorry, but that doesn't look like it was a good move. At this point, from where I sit, I go, if they could go back, they would take Justin Herbert, no matter probably how good Tua ends up being. They took Tua instead of Herbert. So Tua Tungavaloa has to prove himself this year. And I believe he will. This new offensive system is going to make him look really good. Did anybody watch the Dolphins' first preseason game? Mike McDaniel's system made Skylar Thompson, quarterback out of Kansas State, look like a Hall of Famer. Guys are wide open. He's looking really good. And I, I thought to myself, if this is how good Mike McDaniel's offense can make Skylar Thompson look, imagine how good it's going to make Tua look. This is the best shot Tua's had in his entire NFL career. The key to this, though, this this whole season is that Tua cannot be the reason Miami loses games this fall. Ideally, they win, and he's awesome, and everybody's happy. But if they lose in Miami, and he plays well, he's going to keep his job. The only thing Tua can't do, like I said, is be the reason why Miami isn't winning. He doesn't need to win. He needs to play well. He needs to justify his position. Again, ideally, they win a lot and he's happy. The Miami Dolphins had their first round pick taken away. They got in trouble. Steven Ross, their owner, got suspended for a while. But the Dolphins still have a first round pick in next year's NFL draft. They have the 49ers first round pick for the 2023 NFL draft. Now, if Tua does all right... And the 49ers have a winning season and do pretty good. Then you're going to have a quarterback you kind of like to and a late first round pick that you're probably not going to want to spend on a quarterback. So if Tua can just be okay, he probably secures his job. Losing that first round pick for Miami really, I think, gave him even more job security than you thought. I think the 49ers are going to be good. I think it's going to be a late first round pick. If that's a late first round pick... It's unlikely they use a quarterback to draft and replace Tua there. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> there are so many memes making fun of Tua. I think of, you know, can Tua throw far? Like, that's legitimately a question people are asking. He's getting made fun of so much on the internet. I'm seeing stuff like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open these memes. I sent them to myself on my phone. Where is Zach Sean? Where I texted myself. Yes, I do that all the time. Uh, this one. The number of 30-plus yard passes in the NFL career for Tua Tungvaloa is one. Tua has one pass of 30 yards or more in the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr., a receiver, has more 30-plus 30 30 yard passes than Tua does. He's got two. Tua's got one. There's a great meme of Tua. Uh, it's, it's a lady looking like kind of squinting, and it's Tua seeing Tyreek Hill 60 yards downfield knowing Damn well, he can't throw it that far. And then there's a quote where Tyreek Hill calls Tua Tungavaloa the, quote, most accurate quarterback in the NFL. And someone captioned it, I'd lie if they paid me $120 million as well. And by the way, I've seen a video uh, of people saying, you know, 
you know, reminding people the quote where Tyreek Hill said Tua is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. And there's a video of Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball left-handed and hitting the crossbar or behind his back and hitting the crossbar. And you're like, is is he more accurate? Is Tua really more accurate than Patrick Mahomes? Like, no. Tyreek Hill's saying what he's got to say for PR to save face and help his guy. But I here's what I hope. I'm so tired of people making fun of Tua, saying he can't throw the ball far. Like, the memes are funny. But I hope to God the first throw of the year from Tua Tungavaloa is a 60-yard bomb for a touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Just make everybody quiet immediately. Tua can throw the ball deep. Did you watch him at Alabama? Did you forget how you were introduced to Tua Tungavaloa? He threw a touchdown pass in the national title game to beat Georgia to none other than Devontae Smith future Heisman Trophy winning receiver. Tua can throw the ball deep. Are you kidding me? Do you not watch football in college at all? Did you not watch Alabama ever? Of course Tua can throw the ball deep. I, I can't believe that's a thing that people don't believe about him. But And I get it, they're memes. But um, I don't know. Like I said, I hope that Tua just comes out throwing haymakers to start the year. Um, I also expect him to move around better. Than he has in recent years. Remember, he dislocated his hip a couple years ago, right at the end of his college career. He should be fully 100% now. He's moved around pretty well during the preseason. And I believe the new system in Miami is going to help the offensive line. It's gonna, they're going to run the ball well. They're going to use lots of motion. They're going to create good matchups, both on the offensive line and it, with receivers against defensive backs. They're going to get the ball out quick. I am really excited to watch what happens with Tua. I think that Mike McDaniel's system is going to elevate Tua Tungavaloa. We'll find out. The pressure's on. He's got to play well. But I, I believe that Mike McDaniel's system is going to save Tua's career. And uh, is it wishful thinking? Maybe. But I, I just can't imagine playing in that really intricate, good offense with Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill and not succeeding. Tua can't do that. He doesn't deserve to be an NFL quarterback. And I can say that even as a fan of him. If he can't work in this scenario, then he deserves to be replaced. All right. Um, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and their quarterbacks. They got three quarterbacks. They got Mitchell Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, and Mason Rudolph in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's been really weird and funny to me. I saw today that Mason Rudolph is now on the trade block. They're considering moving him. Uh, early on, at the very beginning of training camp, people were arguing with me that it would be Mason Rudolph who would be the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh. And I don't get that. I don't get the the Mason Rudolph stands or something. Like, why are you so loyal to Mason Rudolph you argue for him with someone on the internet? That's very weird to me. And it's delusional. There's a reason why Pittsburgh brought in two new quarterbacks this year. They drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. They added Trubisky during free agency. They didn't do that because they love Mason Rudolph. They've seen Mason Rudolph for years now. They know exactly how good he is, and they decided, with that information, to bring in two other quarterbacks. By the way, it's already been announced Kenny Pickett is officially the number two quarterback Mason Rudolph is number three. Kenny Pickett's already number two on the depth chart. The question is, how long is it going to be until Kenny Pickett is QB1 in Pittsburgh? He's looked really sharp recently. He keeps getting better every time I watch him and hear about him. 
Kenny Pickett might be the day one starter in Pittsburgh. And I, to his credit, Mitchell Trubisky has honestly done very well. Um, you know, I said a lot of stuff about Mitchell Trubisky in the Chicago Bears days that I look back on now and go, I was pretty harsh. Uh, and I think if Trubisky starts week one for Pittsburgh, he's going to do pretty all right. I think he, he can move around. He's got a good team around him. But when you draft a quarterback in the first round, it comes with expectations. And as Kenny Pickett continues to play well, it's going to be hard to keep him on the bench, man. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't see Kenny Pickett being the number two quarterback in Pittsburgh for very long. He might even start week one. By the way, people are really down on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I, I got to say, I totally disagree with anyone who doesn't believe in the Steelers. Uh, they've got a pretty good team around whoever starts at quarterback in Pittsburgh. They got Deontay Johnson and George Pickens at receiver. Najee Harris at running back. A good defense with a lot of playmakers. A really good pass rusher. TJ Watt's going to get after every opposing quarterback. Pittsburgh... Did you forget they were a playoff team last year? And with good quarterback play, Pittsburgh is going to make a lot of noise, in my opinion. Their plan is Mitchell Trubisky and then Kenny Pickett. And and again, how long will it be until Kenny Pickett is QB1 in Pittsburgh? I'm excited. Uh, Both Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky can move around and run outside of the pocket. And Kenny Pickett handles big moments really, really well. I'd love to see Kenny Pickett get some kind of cool fourth quarter, last minute victory at some point this year. That would be awesome. But I want to say this now and get ahead of it. I would be shocked if Kenny Pickett didn't work out as the franchise quarterback for Pittsburgh. He's looked too good. He's too mature. I just, I really believe in the guy. And... I expect him to have a pretty good rookie year. Whenever he becomes quarterback one, QB one in Pittsburgh, I think he's going to do very well. And by the way, people are concerned about Kenny Pickett and his arm strength. Is his, will he be able to handle bad weather in Pittsburgh? Are his tiny hands going to be a problem? Tiny hands, whatever that means, don't seem to affect Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. And not the best weathered city in the world. Cincinnati's a little more mild, but still, I think it's fine. I think another question about Kenny Pickett is: Is he going to leave a clean pocket too early and roll out? So, talking to Marcus Whitman, my guy, the, that franchise guy, during the draft process, we talked about that a lot. Like, hey, you know, Kenny Pickett does have a tendency to leave the pocket early, and just he's got a clean pocket, nobody around him, and he just rolls out for no reason. That's something that might happen. I want to see him be more patient there. Um, And then how good can Kenny Pickett really be? Everyone, myself included, said that Kenny Pickett has, quote, a limited ceiling. But I don't know, man. What does that even mean? The more I think about it, uh, the more I just, I hope Kenny Pickett proves himself. Is he a dynamic athlete like Malik Willis? Is he going to run around like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? No. Those are all different athletes, but we would all agree in different ways. They're all very dynamic athletes. Kenny Pickett is not a dynamic athlete. That's physically impressive more than any other quarterback in any way in the NFL. Lamar Jackson's the fastest 
You wouldn't want to try to tackle Josh Allen. He can run you over. Patrick Mahomes can do all kinds of crazy stuff with his arm throwing off platform. I don't know what Kenny Pickett does physically different that no one else can do. But he does a lot of the little stuff right. He's a great decision maker. He's accurate. He gets a ball out on time. He handles high-pressure situations really, really well. Who does that sound like? Sounds like two of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Is he physically imposing? No. But Kenny Pickett can ball. I believe in the guy. And it is only a matter of time before he is the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh. The question is, how long is it going to take? All right. Um, I absolutely love the Bengals quarterback, Joe Burrow. His swagger, his confidence, his work ethic, his ability, his accuracy, everything. And Joe Burrow is in a really interesting spot this year. I guess maybe the, you know, I, really the big question about Joe Burrow is, can he do it again? He's coming off of kind of an improbable Super Bowl run where they lost the Super Bowl to the LA Rams. But nobody really expected them to be there. Nobody thought the Bengals were going to go to the Super Bowl last year. Go go watch any preseason content. Nobody believed that about the Bengals last year. And what Joe Burrow and the Bengals did last year was completely change the NFL. They drafted a receiver, Jamar Chase, number five overall. A receiver that some people, myself included, were surprised they drafted. The common wisdom at the time was, hey, the Bengals have a weak offensive line. They need to draft an offensive lineman. And instead, Cincinnati did something different. They drafted a receiver. It felt like they ignored a key problem on their football team. They loaded up on receivers when they needed an offensive lineman. I remember a a while back, years ago now, the, the Matt Millen era. The Lions drafted three receivers in the first round three years in a row. Sorry, they drafted a receiver in the first round three years in a row. Three receivers in the first round back to back to back. It didn't work. So I I remember thinking about this at the time going like, man, if the Bengals draft a receiver in this draft when they need an offensive lineman, that's such a massive mistake. But they did it anyway. They loaded up Jamar Chase at receiver, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, We're going to throw and throw, get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quickly, and dominate. And it worked really well. The Bengals went to the Super Bowl. And the NFL noticed what they did and said, Oh my goodness, it works. Hey, receivers, they might be more valuable than we thought. Suddenly, receivers are more valuable than ever before. There were six receivers drafted in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. A ton of money was given to receivers during this offseason. Here's my point. Joe Burrow has had a crazy run in recent years as a quarterback. In 2019, he won the college national title and maybe had the best season ever by a college quarterback. In 2020, as a rookie in the NFL, had a pretty good year. He got hurt. We didn't get to see it finished, but he had a good year as a rookie in the NFL. And then in 2021, last year, Joe Burrow completely changed the approach 
from NFL general managers. He showed how valuable the receiver position can be. He changed the way people valued the position of receiver. That's unbelievable. So in a weird way, there's really no pressure on Joe Burrow at all this fall. He's exceeded expectations so hard that I don't think he's got to do much of anything this year. He could have a pretty quiet, solid year, and nobody would blink. Now, I'd love to see Joe Burrow crush it. That's what I want to see happen. I want to see him absolutely annihilate everybody they play. And I wonder, is there going to be a Super Bowl hangover? You see regularly when quarterbacks lose the Super Bowl, they struggle afterward. Can Cincinnati win their division, the AFC North again? I don't know. You know, there's this bigger thing working against Joe Burrow that people may not realize. CBS Sports shared a really interesting stat. Most quarterbacks who go to the Super Bowl for the first time and lose do not ever go back. Joe Burrow is working against an uphill battle. The last 16 starting quarterbacks to go to the Super Bowl for the first time and lose never, ever made it back. The last 16 starting quarterbacks who lost their first ever Super Bowl appearance never made it back to the big game. Never made it back to the Super Bowl ever again. Guys like Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Steve McNair, Donovan McNabb. I could go on and on. It's a long list. And the most recent quarterback to go to the Super Bowl for the first time and lose and then make it back to the Super Bowl later was Jim Kelly in 1990. And by the way, he never won a Super Bowl. He went to four straight Super Bowls and lost every single one of them. Does that matter? Is Joe Burrow an outlier? I don't know. What I know is that if you lose the Super Bowl, it's hard to go back. And that means ever, not just the next year. I mean ever. So again, here's the question. Can Joe Burrow do it again? Was last year a fluke? You know, he lost his tight end, C.J. Uzama. He left for the Jets. Is that going to matter? He had a really good target over the middle who caught a lot of passes over the middle and underneath, kind of like a security blanket for Joe Burrow. Does losing C.J. Uzama make a big difference? And are the Bengals going to win their division ever again? I don't know. You know, Cleveland with Deshaun Watson, they're a mess. Pittsburgh has got a rookie quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Baltimore, they've got a bunch of questions at receiver. The Bengals appear to be the best team in the AFC North. Let's see if they can capitalize on that. But again, I ask, can Joe Burrow do it again? Will Joe Burrow do it again? Can and will are different. Can the team around him elevate enough? Do they have enough players that did not retire or go to another team that remember what it was like work ethic-wise, in the weight room before the season. And then I I hope Joe Burrow, if people aren't pulling their weight, he'll step up and get people on track. I hope so. I love, love, love Joe Burrow. And I love the city of Cincinnati. Rooting for Joe, I hope it's awesome. And uh, I sure hope he can do it again. I want to see Cincinnati in another Super Bowl. And maybe this time they can actually win. The Cleveland Browns made a decision to ditch their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. And they replaced him with 
Deshaun Watson. A guy who has had legal trouble and is suspended for the first 11 games of the year. Here's my question. Was Baker the problem or was it the Browns? Why did that relationship not work out? And why did Baker not seem to play well last year? Now, it seems like Baker is going to do at least decent in Carolina as a starting quarterback for the Panthers. So I wonder, will the Browns at any point regret replacing Baker Mayfield with Deshaun Watson? Remember, Baker won their first playoff game in like forever. It's pretty rare you ship that guy off to a different team. So I have to admit the Deshaun Watson saga makes me deeply uncomfortable what's going on off the field there. I admit that, but on one hand, I also, I can't deny that the last time Deshaun Watson actually played in an NFL game, in a regular season game for Houston way back in 2020, that year Deshaun Watson actually played really well. I have to acknowledge that. He had 33 touchdown passes and seven interceptions. And look, the team around him was horrible. And he didn't let the mess around him bring him down and drag him down. I thought he played very well. I thought he made good decisions throwing the football, despite the lack of help around him on his team. So I can acknowledge Deshaun Watson does some good stuff as a quarterback. That's the nicest way I can put that. But he has an 11-game suspension. And his first game back from the suspension is going to be week 13 on the road against his old team at Houston. And I'm sorry. I feel weird admitting this, but I, I cannot wait to watch that. That's going to be incredible television. It's basically the only exciting Browns or Deshaun Watson storyline all year that I'm like, hey, that's interesting. That's fun. I do wonder if Deshaun Watson is going to be rusty. Uh, you know, it's going to be the last time he played in a regular season game was January 3rd, 2021. That was the last week of the 2020 season. Didn't play at all last year. It's been a long time since Deshaun Watson played meaningful snaps in a football game. And he's only going to play in six games this year. Misses 11 of them, comes back, plays the final six games of the year. It's hard to imagine Cleveland is going to make the playoffs to, you know, with that all going on and with their quarterback that they are paying you know, $230 million fully guaranteed. It's hard to imagine that guy. You know, It's hard to imagine that team still making the playoffs without that guy. And like I said, he's suspended for a long time. They are paying him. It's a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract, which is insane, by the way, they gave him that. Here's an insane question that I think is really fun to think about. Jacoby Brissett is going to be the Browns' starting quarterback while Deshaun Watson is out. What if? And this is a crazy what if. What if the Browns start 11-0? and and Jacoby Brissett is absolutely dominating and leading the NFL in passing. That's the chaos I want. Can you imagine? What, what do you do if you're the Browns? And you're the best team in the NFL. Your quarterback is dominating. And it's not the quarterback you paid a massive contract and traded for. You paid Deshaun Watson all that money. You brought him in. And then Jacoby Brissett, your backup, is the guy 
killing it. What do you do there? I want to see Jacoby Brissett dominate. I want to see him make it really hard for them to switch to Deshaun Watson. I think that would be absolutely hilarious. Is that going to happen? No. That's not going to happen. But I can still wish for it. That would be hilarious and chaotic and fun. And I think the Browns actually have a pretty decent team on paper. They've got Amari Cooper at receiver, David Njoku at tight end. You know, their starting center got hurt, but outside of that, they still got a pretty impressive offensive line. They've got two good running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They've got a ton of playmakers all across their defense. If Cleveland can survive the first 11 games of the year without Deshaun Watson, then when they get Deshaun Watson back, and that's a big ask, by the way, to survive those 11 games without their starting quarterback. But if they can do that, then when they get Deshaun Watson back, they've got a lot of talent. They could be good, actually. They like If the Browns can survive 11 games of the year without their starting quarterback, somehow, they are actually primed to do pretty well when Deshaun Watson gets back. And I just think it's going to be so much fun, man, to... I, I hate to admit it. I, I know Deshaun Watson did stuff off the field that makes me deeply uncomfortable. But it's going to be fun to track Baker Mayfield, the Browns, Deshaun Watson. Who's going to end up winning the breakup? Will the Browns regret their move? And look, maybe Baker struggles and Deshaun comes back and plays really well. I mean, maybe the Browns end up winning the breakup. It's very possible. Time is going to tell what happens here, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And week 13, Deshaun Watson on the road at his old team, Houston. That's must-watch TV for me. I can't wait for that to happen. I I kind of shamefully admit that. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in that game. It's going to be insanely interesting. That's why the NFL planned it that way. And so... I don't know. I, I don't have a lot more to add about Deshaun Watson, but I, I I know that week 13, that's a moment I'm really excited and interested to watch happen. And um, it's it's pretty much the only interesting storyline regarding Deshaun Watson and the Browns that I'm excited about all year. Okay, I'm going to drink some water real quick. Um, I want to talk about Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is going into year 14. As an NFL quarterback, he spent 12 years in Detroit as the Lions quarterback, 12 years of pain, losing and losing and losing a lot. Last year, Matthew Stafford went to L.A. and on his new team, he immediately won the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford is 12th all time in passing yards. He's now won a Super Bowl. He's got a crazy highlight reel. He's also 34 years old. And if he can play for three or four more years at a high level and get to maybe, I don't know, get past 60,000 career passing yards, then I think if he retires with that on his resume, I think Matthew Stafford has a chance to be in the Hall of Fame conversation when he retires. And in my opinion, Matthew Stafford has nothing to prove. He's already completely rewritten the narrative about him as a a quarterback. And remember, he used to be viewed as a talented quarterback who simply couldn't win. And clearly that wasn't true. He left Detroit. He immediately 
won a Super Bowl right after getting to LA. Year one with LA, with a different team, he won a Super Bowl. So it, it's clear to me, hey, the problem all along was the Detroit Lions. And all Matthew Stafford has to do is keep winning and keep playing well. And if he does that, he's going to be remembered as a winner. So this year, Matthew Stafford is playing for his legacy. I hope he has fun. There's a lot of talent around him in L.A. He's going to be throwing to Cooper Cup. They added a receiver, Allen Robinson, this offseason. They've got a, a ton of talent on that Rams defense. A lot of playmakers. Now, there are some obstacles. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals were a playoff team last year. And they got even better this offseason. They're in that same division. Arizona's going to challenge L.A. for the NFC West title. And the 49ers have a new starting quarterback, Trey Lance, who's in a dynamic athlete. He's a really, really exciting, young, talented quarterback, Trey Lance, in San Francisco. The 49ers could win that division, the NFC West. On top of that, there's another obstacle. The Rams left tackle Andrew Whitworth retired. That's a notable loss. Uh, I, there's, you know, Note Boom, the guy they brought in to replace him, he's solid and nothing wrong with him, but it's just, you're not going to lose Andrew Whitworth and not feel the loss of that uh, at some point. And, you know, he was and is a legend. So those are some of the stuff that I find uh, maybe problematic about the Rams. Their division's pretty good. They lost their left tackle, but Regardless, the Rams and Matthew Stafford, they just won the Super Bowl. The pressure's off, and I expect another fun, productive season this fall from the Rams and Matthew Stafford. How about this one? Um, Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson is only 25 years old. I think people sometimes forget how young Lamar Jackson really is. He's younger than Joe Burrow. And yet, by the way, he's been in the NFL for two years longer than Joe Burrow. Lamar Jackson has accomplished, like, an unbelievable amount of stuff for how young he is and how long he's been in the NFL. He's made the playoffs three times. He's won a playoff game. He's won the NFL MVP. And yet, somehow, Lamar Jackson still has doubters. There are still people out there that don't believe Lamar Jackson is a viable NFL quarterback, or at least one that's going to be successful for a long, sustained amount of time. It's pretty rare to win the NFL MVP and still have people wondering how good you are and how long your style is going to work. And people have questions about Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the ball downfield. He's not under contract after this year. So Lamar is technically playing for a new deal. Yes, Lamar Jackson is going into year five of his NFL career, year five of his contract, and currently, if nothing changes, then after this year, Lamar Jackson is going to be a free agent next fall, or I guess next offseason, because we've got this fall and then next March, basically, Lamar Jackson is scheduled to become a free agent. Now, that's not going to happen. At minimum, the Baltimore Ravens would at least franchise tag the guy. But it's a very unique situation where Lamar Jackson still has something to prove, and his team is clearly still evaluating him, figuring out how much money to pay him. And, man, I just, I really want to see Lamar Jackson 
silence everybody who doubts him. I want to see Lamar Jackson come out throwing haymakers and proving everybody wrong. I do have one concern about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, though. Uh, you know, this offseason, the Ravens traded away their number one receiver, Marquise Hollywood Brown. And that's a tough thing to overcome, especially given the circumstance when you got a young quarterback who is really trying to show he can throw the ball downfield. To lose your number one receiver, that's a big deal. Now, they do have a, still a star tight end, Mark Andrews. Uh, they also have a receiver, Rashad Bateman, who was a first-round pick last year. He has potential, but he's unproven. He only played in 12 games last year. And I have to admit, I wish Lamar Jackson had a better receiving core. I think that's a tough obstacle to overcome, to be playing in a receiver-driven league when you have to prove to the league that you are a great passer still, or you at least have to prove yourself as a passer because people constantly doubt you, I wish he had a better receiving core. Now, I don't really care how much money Lamar Jackson makes. Um, I don't know really why people say that he should be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Not because he doesn't deserve it, maybe, but it's just I don't care. That's not a conversation I care about. I, I hope Lamar gets a massive contract and is set for life and his generational wealth. I think it's awesome. I think you could already hear he has it. He's making $23 million this year. The biggest contract in NFL history, that's a weird goal. I don't know why people chase that flex. That's weird to me. I think you your goal should be to get paid a ton of money and win football games and enjoy your life. That's the goal to me. But what I want to see from Lamar Jackson this fall, I want to see him dominate and Shut up all the people who doubt his ability as a quarterback. And that's what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson to just dominate, shred the league, and uh, show people what he can do and, and get a massive contract. And again, silence anyone who still at this point in his career doubt Lamar Jackson. I got to drink some water before we get into this one. This one's this is a fun one coming up. Oh, boy. Um... Kirk Cousins is the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. And Kirk has honestly become the poster boy for a mediocre quarterback. Now, that that sucks for him. But in his career, his win-loss record is 61, 62, and 2. That is 61 wins, 62 losses, and 2 ties. Kirk Cousins has a career losing record. As an NFL quarterback. He's also made. 161 million dollars. In his NFL career. And with two years left on his contract. When the two years are up. That's going to be a grand total of over. 231 million dollars earned. During his NFL career. So people talk all the time about how. Kirk Cousins has been massively overpaid. During his NFL career. And I understand the conversation. But there's a chance this year. That Kirk Cousins can make everyone shut up. There's an opportunity for Kirk. To change the narrative about himself. For years in Washington. Kirk Cousins was on a team that. Didn't really want him. Refused to give him a long term contract. Remember they kept giving him the franchise tag. Stringing him along. He got out of Washington, went to Minnesota. Then in Minnesota, he had a rigid old school head coach, Mike Zimmer, who was very conservative and viewed 
the offensive side of the football as a liability. He didn't want to throw the ball and didn't like Kirk Cousins very much. Well, no. This year, things are different. He got out of Washington. Mike Zimmer's gone. And Minnesota just hired a head coach, Kevin O'Connell, who used to work under Rams head coach Sean McVay in L.A. Kevin O'Connell has been sold to me as an offensive genius. This guy's offensive system is going to be awesome. Guys are going to be wide open, going to be really fun, going to be exciting and full of energy and vibrant and life. And I think for the first time in his entire career, Kirk Cousins is finally going to have a head coach who believes in him, who wants to build an offense around him and build an offense that fits his skill set really well and works to his strengths. I think that's awesome. You know, the Vikings have some scary offensive weapons. Receiver Justin Jefferson is a stud. They got another receiver, Adam Thielen. They've got a stud running back, Dalvin Cook. There's good pieces in Minnesota. And on top of all of that, the team that's dominated their division, the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, that would be. The Packers are weaker this year than they've been in recent years. They lost their top receivers. Uh, I think there's kind of an opportunity here for Minnesota to, with a new offense and a new head coach who believes in Kirk Cousins, I think the Vikings have an opportunity to maybe win their division. And Kirk Cousins especially could have the best year of his career. I'm really excited. I'm really curious. Now, there is a problem. In my opinion, Kirk Cousins appears to handle big moments poorly. He is notoriously bad in primetime games. His record is notoriously bad in primetime games. He's like 8-13 and 13 or something insane like that. He's like 1-3 in playoff games. It's not good. He's got a losing record in playoff games. He's got a losing record in primetime games in front of a national audience. It seems like in big moments, Kirk Cousins gets anxious and and uptight, and maybe a bit flustered. And there's a great example of this. Uh, One time before halftime when he was playing for Washington, he took a knee instead of spiking the ball. His job was to spike the ball, stop the clock, and kick a field goal before halftime. He did the wrong thing. He got all flustered and took a knee. The clock ran out. There was no field goal attempt. Just went to halftime. It was super weird. Looked like he got flustered in a key moment in a two-minute drill. And so I'm really curious if this year Kirk Cousins can change the narrative about himself. He's known as a mediocre quarterback who is monumentally overpaid, who loses in prime time and gets flustered in big moments, throwing pick sixes and taking knees and doing all kinds of dumb stuff in big moments. I wonder, can Kirk Cousins change his reputation and maybe... Can Kirk Cousins have the best year of his life this fall with Kevin O'Connell and Minnesota's new offense? Okay, Uh, unfortunately, we need to have a conversation about the Chicago Bears starting quarterback Justin Fields. Because, dude, I am really, really worried about Justin Fields. I feel bad for the guy. If you look around the NFL... You know, Tua's got a new awesome offensive head coach, Mike McDaniels. He's throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. 
Joe Burrow has three stud receivers. Justin Herbert's got a loaded team around him. So does Trey Lance in San Francisco. If you look around the league, you will realize that Justin Fields is the least supported young quarterback in the entire NFL. Think about what the Jaguars did for Trevor Lawrence, for example. The Jaguars got help for their young second-year quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. They hired a new head coach, Doug Peterson. He's an offensive head coach. He calls plays. He played quarterback in the NFL. He can relate to the quarterback. They also traded for receivers, Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. They tried. Are those perfect receivers? No. But the Jaguars are clearly trying to support their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. I'm not even sure how to make an argument that the Bears are trying to support their young quarterback. I'm going to do my best, but it's, it's not pretty. The offensive line in Chicago is bad. They've got a bad offensive line. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be running for his life this fall in Chicago. The most notable moves Chicago made this offseason were as follows. They traded away their star defender, Khalil Mack. I don't know how you argue that's a good thing for Chicago. Uh, they let their best receiver, Allen Robinson, leave and go to L.A. Oof, that hurts. Uh, they did trade for a receiver, Nikhil Harry, a former first-round pick in New England, but he's been a total bust in the NFL, and he's not even going to be starting for Chicago. It's It's weird to me. On top of that, by the way, the Bears hired... Matt Eberflus to be their new head coach. And I actually like Matt Eberflus. Matt Eberflus, nothing against him. Pretty good hire. I actually like him as a coach. But I don't know that he's the right coach when you have a young quarterback like Justin Fields, right? In a lot of scenarios, I would support Matt Eberflus. Not this one. Because you've got a young quarterback, Justin Fields, who needs to be developed. And Matt Eberflus is a defensive head coach. They needed to hire someone to help Justin Fields, in my opinion. And I guess they did hire Luke Getze as the offensive coordinator. Luke Getze was the Packers quarterback coach with Aaron Rodgers. He's now the offensive coordinator in Chicago. And that's awesome. But what happens if Luke Getze does well in Chicago? Then he's going to leave to go be a head coach. He's going to leave Justin Fields. And... I just, here's the theme this year in Chicago. The Bears have failed to provide the proper support for their young quarterback, Justin Fields. They got a defensive head coach. They lost Khalil Mack. They lost Allen Robinson. They hired an offensive coordinator who, if he does anything good, is going to leave. That's not exciting to me. You build this rapport, you help this young quarterback, and then you peace out, go do your own thing. And I just want to say it now that it's not Justin Fields' fault that they got nothing around this guy. Remember this in November when, if maybe, but really when things go bad, I want you to remember, Bears fans, that Chicago didn't properly support Justin Fields. This is not his fault. I feel bad for the guy. His offensive line is a mess. There's not a lot of playmakers around him on offense. I don't know what to say. It's it's really disappointing. And in November, when the Bears are struggling and Justin Fields doesn't look that great, I just want you to remember 
this is the Bears' fault. It's not Justin Fields' fault. It's on the Bears for not properly supporting their young quarterback. It's so it's so disappointing, man. I don't know. When you've got a bad offensive line, a weak receiving core, a defensive head coach, I just, one more time, when Chicago finishes last in the NFC North, I want you to remember, this is not Justin Fields' fault. The Chicago Bears did nothing to support him. Uh, Baker Mayfield has been named the Carolina Panthers starting quarterback for week one. That's not exactly surprising. There's a reason uh, they made a move to go get him. And, I mean, look, Carolina brought in two new quarterbacks. They traded for Baker Mayfield. They drafted Matt Corral. They did that because they did not believe in Sam Darnold, the quarterback they currently had on their roster. So uh, people that thought Sam Darnold were going to start, Sam Darnold was only going to start if Baker Mayfield didn't play very well when they traded for him. And I am... So dang excited about the Carolina Panthers this fall. I can't wait to watch them. And look, I've been excited about this team for, frankly, for years. They hired Matt Rule uh, going into their 2020 season. And it's been a roller coaster, maybe. Maybe a train wreck ever since. They've had three starting quarterbacks in three years. This is year three with Matt Rule. This is the third starting quarterback in as many years. They started with Teddy Bridgewater. Last year was Sam Darnold. This year it's Baker Mayfield. And man, I so badly want this to work out. I really, really want Baker Mayfield to be the answer for Carolina. And I actually think he's going to do well in Carolina this fall. I think Baker Mayfield is going to do a pretty good job. I, I think what's cool about this is that Baker Mayfield is once again an underdog. If you think about Baker Mayfield's career, when has Baker Mayfield played the best football in his life? He was a walk-on at Texas Tech. He was a walk-on at Oklahoma. Then in Cleveland, his first two years went badly. He had three coaches in two years. And year, you know, by year three in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield was on coach number four. He had Kevin Stefanski. And by that third year in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield had gone from a Heisman Trophy winning number one overall pick to an underdog. He had a lot of people doubting him. And Baker Mayfield does his best work in that kind of environment. When people are doubting him, when he has something to prove. That year, year three in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield threw 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. He led the Browns to the first playoff win in years, and he had his best touchdown-interception ratio of his entire career. Then after doing that, he gets hurt the next year. They don't play that great. Cleveland decided to dump Baker Mayfield and replace him with Deshaun Watson. And, man, I would feel pretty disrespected if I was Baker Mayfield. But I will say, remember in Cleveland, Kevin Stefanski, his head coach, the guy that they hired after Baker was already there, Kevin Stefanski didn't draft Baker. He inherited Baker Mayfield. He didn't choose him. Carolina's coaching staff chose Baker Mayfield. They made a move to go get him. And while I worry about the support around him in Carolina, you know, I... Christian McCaffrey running back is awesome. He's a star, but he's often injured. 
And DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, they're solid receivers, but they're not as good as the receiving core he had last year and in recent years in Cleveland. So on paper, Baker Mayfield went from Cleveland to Carolina and downgraded to a worse football team. But I will say, the new situation in Carolina for Baker Mayfield is him with a coaching staff that actually wants him, that believes in him. That could make a really big difference. And once again, Baker Mayfield is an underdog. He's got a lot of doubters and a lot of people to prove wrong. Can he make good decisions? Can Baker Mayfield make Cleveland look silly for getting rid of him? I also don't think Baker Mayfield needs to win games. I think it would help his public perception if he did. That would be awesome. And he has to play well. But if he has a good year and Carolina's bad all around him and they lose games, I mean, like I said, ideally he would win games in Carolina. But if Baker plays well and Carolina loses, as long as he's not the reason why Carolina's losing, I think he comes out on top saying like, look, I I killed it. My team sucked, but I did really well. I'm rooting for Baker. And frankly, I'm rooting for Carolina. I really, really want to see the Carolina Panthers do something good finally. I want to see them win. I've been wanting to see them win for such a long time. Uh, and I will also say, um, you know, the Panthers drafted a quarterback, Matt Corral, in the third round. He's got a Liz Frank injury, meaning he's got a torn ligament in his foot. He's out for the year. And the one person this benefits is P.J. Walker. Carolina had four quarterbacks on the roster, Matt Corral, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and P.J. Walker. They weren't going to keep all four. It would have been a crowded quarterback room. Matt Corral's injury is going to help P.J. Walker stick around and stay on the roster, and I'm happy for P.J. Walker. But most importantly, I'm really excited to watch Baker Mayfield, see if he can prove himself this year. Can he make Cleveland look silly for getting rid of him? And, and I just I hope Baker can play well, play at a high level, and... I just, I, I am so very much rooting for Baker Mayfield. A, a lot of people hate him. I, I don't really get the hate, but I, I think Baker's got a lot of heart, a lot of attitude. He's a guy who's been an underdog before, and in this situation, as an underdog, I think Baker Mayfield's going to thrive. And uh, I'm excited to watch him this year. All right, let's talk about Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. How good is Dak Prescott? In my mind, Dak is more of a middling quarterback. He's closer to Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill than he is to Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. I expect more of that. I think Dak is going to be fine. And Dallas is going to win some games, but let's be clear. I hope he kills it. I hope Dak Prescott's incredible. I want to see Dak dominate and become a top five quarterback in the NFL. Dak is an awesome person. He's easy to root for. I really like him as a human being off the field. But I have some concerns about Dak Prescott and the situation around him. Dallas has an aging offensive line. Uh, their left tackle, Tyron Smith, just tore his hamstring. He might come back in December. He might also be out for the rest of the year. That's a massive loss. Uh, they traded away receiver Amari Cooper. They still got two studs at receiver, Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb is expected to become 
the number one receiver now that Amari Cooper's gone. But hey, you, you can't lose a good player like Amari Cooper and not expect some kind of drop-off to some degree. And Dallas is massively overpaying their running back, Ezekiel Elliott, who's on the decline. And I look around the league, and I look around the division, particularly the NFC East, and I go, man, the division's up for grabs. Uh, Washington's kind of a wild card. It depends on how well Carson Wentz is and how well Carson Wentz does. But Philadelphia is completely loaded. And I think Philadelphia is probably the favorite to win that division, in my opinion. So Dak is a solid quarterback. He's kind of middle of the road, average, maybe more on the mediocre end of the spectrum than the highest, you know, incredible end of the spectrum. And if Dak Prescott wants to do anything other than be kind of an average, mediocre quarterback, he's got to prove it this year. You lose Amari Cooper, you got an aging running back, you lose your left tackle. This is the year where you step up and show why you deserve a massive contract and show who you are. Unfortunately, I don't think that Dak Prescott's going to do that. I think Dak Prescott's going to be average and fine. And um, I think we're going to see him be solid, but nothing earth shattering and nothing new from him. And I'd like to be wrong about that, but I just, I've got kind of a mediocre view of Dak Prescott. And I think this year is going to confirm that about him that he's, yeah, he's fine, but he's unable to elevate his team when they need him. And to me, I don't know how you call a quarterback elite if they can't elevate their team uh, when they need help. And so to me, Dak Prescott's an average quarterback. That's fine. But remember, Dak is a lot closer to Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill than he is to Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert. All right. Um, Washington's new quarterback is Carson Wentz. I am so very excited for this. Carson Wentz just got dumped. He had a pretty solid year with the Colts last year. He threw 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. I thought Carson Wentz was unjustly or maybe unfairly dumped by the Colts this offseason. And that was right after getting dumped by Philly, which I thought was fair. He played bad in Philadelphia. I thought that one went, I thought that one was justified. But either way, no matter how you look at it, this is Carson Wentz's third team in three years. And, you know, there are three massive games on the Washington Commander schedule this fall. Week three, they play and they host in Washington. Carson and Washington will host Philadelphia, Carson's old team. Then week eight, he plays on the road at Lucas Oil Stadium against his former team at Indy. That's going to be incredibly weird and interesting and great television. Matt Ryan at Indy against Carson Wentz in Washington, and that's going to be really fun and really exciting to watch. Then week 10, he plays on the road at Philly. That crowd's going to be incredible. Cannot wait for that game. So Carson Wentz has to prove himself this year. And in my mind, there are two really big things to track if you're a Washington fan this year. Number one is, what is Washington's win-loss record? How well do they do? But number two, how well do they do in the three games against Carson's former teams? That's interesting. And fun. And I can't wait for that. Now, I believe Carson Wentz is going to be solid, but not incredible. I believe he's good enough uh, that Washington is going to end up keeping him after this year. 
And, and I'm rooting for the guy, honestly. Like, I would love to see Carson Wentz dominate and shred the NFL. And I will say, on, on a positive note, that Washington has the best group of receivers that Carson has played with in a long time. They've got two stud receivers, Terry McLaurin, plus a rookie first-round pick, Jahan Dotson, who I think works really well with the skill set. His ability to go up and grab jump balls is going to be awesome. He's also playing with a stud tight end, Logan Thomas. I mean, I, I feel pretty good about the situation Carson Wentz is getting inserted into. And, you know, the NFC East is a tough division. Philadelphia is really good. But Carson has potential. I mean, honestly, I, he's got a good head coach, Ron Rivera. He's also the best quarterback Washington's had in years. So I, I just don't see a situation where Washington brings him in for one year and moves on from him. He's so talented, too, Carson Wentz. He's got a big arm. He can run around. And don't forget that in 2017, Carson Wentz was the NFL MVP frontrunner. Then he got hurt, was out for the rest of the year, lost out on the NFL MVP. But I really want to see that version of Carson Wentz resurface again and play for Washington this fall. I've got an open mind. I want to see Carson prove himself. And to do that, he's got to win, uh, avoid turnovers, and make big plays. Again, He's got to win. He's got to avoid turnovers. No ugly, horrible interceptions or crazy fumbles. Don't hold on to the ball too long. And then he's got to make big plays. I want to see a highlight reel from Carson Wentz that's impressive this year. If he does that, he's really talented, man. Carson Wentz could be a star if things go right. And there's a really big possibility here that things go very well and Carson Wentz becomes what I thought he was going to, be, to become during 2017 with that Super Bowl year. And remember, stuff happened to Carson off the field. He uh, he got hurt in 2017, and his team won a Super Bowl without him. I think that would mess with your head a lot. And so we're seeing Carson make changes and become a different quarterback than we've seen in the past. But that really talented guy who was probably should have been the NFL MVP in 2017, that guy is still in there. And I am really, really hoping we get to see him this year because I it's been a long time since 2017. Some bad years in Philly, getting replaced in Indy. This is a great opportunity for him with a good receiving core, a pretty good defense, a good head coach. I want to see Carson prove himself, and uh, I so very much hope that he does. All right, I need some more water real quick, and then we'll talk about a scary one. During the preseason, New York Jets fans had to deal with a really, really scary moment. Zach Wilson, their starting quarterback, uh, the 2021 number two overall pick. Zach Wilson, their quarterback, hurt his knee. And it was a really scary non-contact injury where I thought for sure Zach Wilson tore his ACL. That's what it looked like. Uh, it was very alarming. Now, it turns out wasn't actually that bad. He tore his right meniscus, and on Tuesday, August 16th, he got arthroscopic knee surgery in LA. And so Zach Wilson is making a recovery and we'll be back soon. And I have a lot of questions for the Jets this year, honestly, because number one, is Zach Wilson going to be healthy enough to play well this year? You are already off to a bad start. That's to have your quarterback get injured during the preseason. Not really a good thing, but Hey, maybe the, maybe the Jets can recover from that. But aside from the injury, how good is Zach Wilson actually going to be? Remember, this is year two 
in the Jets offense for Zach Wilson. Um, and I have been hoping he takes a really big step forward. Again, the injury is a big setback. But I want to see, can Zach Wilson prove he's the Jets franchise quarterback? I, that's what I want to see from him this year. And there was another bad thing that happened. The Jets left tackle Mekhi Becton, hurt his knee. He's out for the year. By the way, this is the second year in a row this exact situation has happened where it's the same knee, by the way, that Mekhi Becton has been out for the year because of a knee injury. That's awful. Although hope is not entirely lost because Mekhi Becton has been replaced with veteran left tackle Dwayne Brown. He's 36 years old. He played last in Seattle. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. He's been a stud in the past. Dwayne Brown is a big get for the Jets. I think he could do something good this year for him. This year, maybe next year, depending on how long they need him. But I still have really big concerns about the Jets' left tackle position. If he's not healthy all the time, what if he gets hurt? What if he gets winded? I don't know, but that's a big, big problem to me. And, you know, there are still some good players around Zach Wilson on the Jets. Uh, This Jets offense, they just drafted a receiver, Garrett Wilson, the first round. They added a tight end, CJ Uzama from Cincinnati. That's awesome. Plus, they've got Elijah Moore. Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, Denzel Mims. They've got a lot of good receivers around their young quarterback. They're supporting their young quarterback, in my opinion. But here's an interesting wrinkle that I I find really fascinating when it comes to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson still has to prove himself, which partly means that he doesn't have job security because Zach Wilson got out of knee surgery uh, and it's going to be a while till he's ready. So Joe Flacco is set to start week one for the New York Jets, and guess who Joe Flacco and the Jets are playing week one? They're going to play Joe Flacco's former team, the Baltimore Ravens, and the quarterback who replaced him, Lamar Jackson. That is outstanding television. Week one, Ravens at Jets, I just wish it was in Baltimore. To see Joe Flacco on the road against the former team, that would be awesome. We don't get that moment, but we get something pretty close. And the Jets actually have a pretty good team. They got some talent on that team there. I mean, I I really look at what the Jets have done, and they've built a pretty good roster. And apparently Joe Flacco has looked really good during training camp. People have said at times that Joe Flacco has looked better even than Zach Wilson. Here's a really fun thought. At one point, Joe Flacco once won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. He actually was Super Bowl MVP. And I wonder, could history repeat itself? Here's what I mean. There was once a former Super Bowl winning quarterback named Kurt Warner who replaced a young quarterback, Matt Leinart, and did really well with a really talented Arizona team. In fact... Kurt Warner took that team to the Super Bowl. Could this moment be Joe Flacco's Kurt Warner moment? Is there any possibility that Joe Flacco plays well enough that Zach Wilson loses the starting job? I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. There's a possibility here in the world of infinite outcomes where Look, Zach Wilson might be better than Trey Lance, and he might lose his job. And 
I don't know, man. I, I don't think it's impossible. I, I'd be surprised, but keep your eye on how well Joe Flacco does this year as a Jets quarterback. And at minimum, I want to see Joe Flacco just annihilate his old team, the Baltimore Ravens. But on top of that, I think it's possible things go even farther than that. And that, that really excites me and gets me going. So could Joe Flacco have a Kurt Warner moment? Sounds fun to me. And uh, I don't know. Keep your eye on that. So, yeah, man. I, I want to see Joe Flacco do well. I want to see him shred Baltimore. And uh, if it's not Joe Flacco, then Zach Wilson has to prove himself this fall. Here's the big question surrounding the Tennessee Titans quarterback this fall. Is this Ryan Tannehill's last year as a starter in Tennessee? Ryan Tannehill is a mediocre quarterback. And Tennessee just drafted quarterback Malik Willis in the third round of the NFL draft. And Malik Willis in the preseason has looked really exciting to watch. He's been, you know, he's big. He makes crazy throws. He runs around. Malik Willis is dynamic and exciting, whereas Ryan Tannehill is bland and boring. And I believe Malik Willis should sit out for a year, very similar to what Trey Lance did for the 49ers last year. I think the longer Malik Willis will sit, the the better it will be for him to sit and learn and grow. But if Ryan Tannehill is underwhelming and Tennessee starts to lose games, it's going to be really tempting to play Malik Willis. And I, I just... Keep your eye on that. How long does it take before Malik Willis gets on the field? And could it be all year? Could it be partway through the year? I'm not really sure, but I would not be shocked at all if partway through the year they get tired of the Ryan Tannehill show and go to the more dynamic, more exciting young quarterback. Now, the receivers are really interesting to me in Miami because they just traded away an established stud receiver, A.J. Brown, to Philadelphia, and they drafted a new receiver, Traylon Burks, in the first round. I believe he's going to be good. But it could take a few games for Traylon Burks to settle into the NFL and really get going. Whereas A.J. Brown is going to be good day one. Traylon Burks could be good week eight or nine. So you're waiting for a rookie to develop. That's really tough. A tough exchange. Also, Julio Jones didn't work last year in Tennessee. They gave up a second round pick for him. And they were hoping he'd be their stud number two receiver. It didn't work. And so now Julio Jones is in Tampa with Tom Brady. And I'm just curious, was the problem Julio or was the problem Ryan Tannehill? I lean towards Ryan Tannehill. But Tennessee's got a shot to win their division. The Jaguars are better. Uh, The Colts got Matt Ryan. But Tennessee has won the division two years in a row. And I'm really curious, will Tennessee get dethroned this year? And if they do, if if Tennessee doesn't win their division or they lose and are, are losing their division... It's very unlikely that Ryan Tannehill is not going to take the fall. In fact, it is very likely Ryan Tannehill is going to be the one taking the fall there. And I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but Ryan Tannehill's job is in danger. He's got to play well this fall. And uh, I just wonder, is this Ryan Tannehill's final year as a starting quarterback in Tennessee? I think it very well could be and maybe even is, definitively. Keeper, I am Malik Willis. And if man, the fuse is so short. There's not a lot of margin for error for Ryan Tannehill. If he's screwing up and not making plays, they are going to get him out of there faster than you can imagine. 
and go to Malik Willis. All right. Um, I am so dang excited for Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts this year. There's still some doubt about Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. He doesn't have a huge contract. Uh, I put a list on my Instagram story today. It was titled Last Chance Quarterbacks. And a lot of people said Jalen Hurts should be on that list. But I believe Philly is the best team in that division, the NFC East. And I'm calling my shot. I expect Philly to win a lot this year. And Jalen Hurts is going to look really good winning a lot in Philadelphia. They made the playoffs last year, and I think Jalen's going to build off last year and look really good. This is a dangerous team. They got two stud receivers. They just added A.J. Brown this offseason, plus they already had Devontae Smith. And the secret weapon in Philadelphia is their tight end, Dallas Goddard. People don't realize how good he is. Dallas Goddard is going to blow people away this fall. This team is good up front on both sides of the ball. They even have a good backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Uh, They traded for Gardner last year. He prepared really hard this offseason. If somehow Gardner Minshew gets a shot, he is going to be ready. But back to Jalen Hurts. I absolutely love Jalen Hurts. I love his style. I love his leadership. I love how he talks to the media. Every year that I've watched this guy play, Jalen Hurts, every year since his first year at Alabama, Jalen Hurts gets better every single year. And I just, why would that suddenly stop this year? Why would this year be the year that he doesn't get better? I have high expectations for Jalen Hurts. He's going to be better than he was last year. Philly's going to win the NFC East. And, man, I really like Philadelphia's head coach, Nick Sirianni. He won me over last year. I'm excited by it. So I just, I want to remind you guys, I think Philly's really dangerous and I have a lot of confidence in the Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts. All right, guys. Um, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is going to have a good year for sure. Uh, Yes, he lost his top receiver, Devontae Adams. He also lost another receiver, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And yes, the receiving core has been struggling in training camp. They've been struggling with their new receivers. But Aaron Rodgers is still going to put up really good numbers and be productive. And I, I, I do wonder how is he going to handle having, a, having an extremely young and inexperienced group of receivers. I'm not really sure how he's going to handle that. But he's going to make it work. And, you know, they brought in Sammy Watkins. He's a veteran. Aaron is coming off back-to-back MVP awards. He's a future Hall of Famer. He can elevate his receiving core. I'm excited to watch Aaron Rodgers this fall. But here's the real question for Aaron Rodgers if you're a Packers fan. Is this the final year before Aaron retires? He turns 39 in December. And while he shows no signs of slowing down on the field when you watch him play, I want to remind you that when Devontae Adams left for Vegas, he said that part of his decision-making process was, you know, the reason why he went to Vegas was because of the uncertainty he felt about Aaron Rodgers' future. Is this Aaron's last year? That rumor that came out about Aaron Rodgers potentially retiring or wanting a trade, that really, really damaged a lot of stuff for the Packers. I think it hurt recruiting. I think it hurt a lot of stuff. 
And I, you know, on top of uncertainty about whether he wants to leave the Packers, could this be Aaron's last year in the NFL? Could he retire just out of nowhere? I think that's, that's the kind of move he would make is just peace out and say sayonara forever. If this is Aaron's last year in the NFL, then that would make this his final year to have a shot at the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, this is not the best team Aaron Rodgers has had in recent years. Also, it's kind of weird. Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach, keeps praising the backup quarterback and former first-round pick, Jordan Love. I don't know what that's about. Is Matt LaFleur trying to boost Jordan Love's trade value? Or is he trying to make fans feel a little more hopeful and better in case Aaron Rodgers does retire after this year? I'm not really sure. But Aaron is a total wild card. It seems like he can play forever, but he also seems like he's just bored of the game and wants to leave any time. It's, it's, I'm not really sure what to make of it. What I will say is that Aaron is the best thrower of the football planet Earth has literally ever seen. And I encourage this. Enjoy the show. Aaron is going to be a blast to watch this year. Who knows how long he's going to play? You know, when I was a kid, my grandma was really old and she was going to die. And every time I left the house, I gave her a big hug and I said, I love you so much, Grandma. And in my head, I'm saying goodbye to her. So the day that I came back to my house and my grandma had passed on, I had been preparing for it for a long time. I'd said goodbye every day. We don't know when Aaron's going to move on from the NFL and say goodbye. I encourage this. Just enjoy the show. Who knows how long Aaron's going to play. Enjoy it and appreciate it because I have no idea what's going to end. And I think watching Aaron Rodgers and getting to watch Aaron Rodgers is a really special privilege. I just want to make sure I enjoy. I believe this year Aaron's going to play at a high level. He's going to be a blast to watch. At some point, though, the Packers are going to hit their ceiling as a team. Green Bay is not going to win the Super Bowl this year. There's too many question marks on this roster. And I, I'm happy to be wrong about this, but I think Aaron can only carry them so far. As we've learned in recent years, you got to have a lot of help. And uh, I just, I don't think Aaron is going to lift his team up to win a Super Bowl. I just, he's had opportunities that hasn't happened recently, nor should it be all on him. I mean, he, he needs help, but frankly, this team this year, the Green Bay Packers, they don't have the help required for him to win a Super Bowl. And, uh, it's just not going to happen. He's going to have a fun, exciting year. It'll be fun to watch. Enjoy it. Record games. Sit down every time you get. Have some notches. Enjoy watching Aaron Rodgers. But I do not expect him to win a Super Bowl this fall. Now, the Indianapolis Colts quarterback, Matt Ryan, is 37 years old. And in comparison, Aaron Rodgers turns 39 in December. He just won the NFL MVP. Tom Brady is 45 years old. He made the playoffs in back-to-back years. He's won a Super Bowl in 2020. Compared to Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan is younger, although he looks old when you compare them side-by-side. And not just, like, face. I mean, physically and ability-wise. Here's the question. Does Matt Ryan look old and bad because he's getting old and is bad? Or was he being held back by a really bad Atlanta Falcons football team in recent years? I guess the real question is, how much does Matt Ryan actually have left? He's on a new team in Indy. He's their fifth starting quarterback in the fifth year in a row. But unlike Atlanta, Matt Ryan actually has good stuff around him. 
a good defense, a good offensive line. They run the ball well. I like their receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. Honestly, Matt Ryan fits better with the pieces Indy has than their last quarterback, Carson Wentz, did. And I'm hoping that Matt Ryan is exactly what Indy needs. I would love to see that happen. I I so hope so. But honestly, you know, I, I expect the Colts to win their division. I think they're the best team in the AFC South. And I, I just wish that the Colts had more receivers beyond Michael Pittman Jr. I, I think they're an awesome team. I feel good about them. But, you know, I, I expect kind of a boring offense because of how limited their passing game is going to be. They've got one number one receiver, but I think they're going to run the ball well. Um, I don't expect Matt Ryan to light it up a bunch. I think they're going to win with good defense, running the ball, avoiding turnovers, and controlling time of possession. And I'm, I'm curious, how good is Jacksonville going to be? How good is Tennessee going to be? Both of those teams could challenge the Colts for the AFC South title. But I go back to this. I just wonder, will age be a factor for Matt Ryan? Or was that happening? Did it look like that because of Atlanta? Was Atlanta actually holding Matt Ryan back? Or is he truly getting old and not playing quarterback at that high a level? And is the fact that the Colts do not have a true number two receiver, is that going to be a problem later down the road? I'm rooting for Matt Ryan. I like him. And oh my goodness, I am so hoping that Colts fans can finally get the quarterback they've been waiting for for so many years. So I'm rooting for Matt Ryan. I hope the Colts get their quarterback. But um, I worry that age could limit Matt Ryan. I worry that not having a number two target could hurt Matt Ryan. Otherwise, I feel pretty good. And I still believe... The Colts are the favorite to win that division, the AFC South. All right, guys, that's all I have. It's been a long episode. I've got a couple questions on Patreon. I'm going to save them for the next episode uh, just because I'm I'm tired. It is. What time is it? My gosh, it is 6.57 in the morning. I started recording at 4.30. Is this really going to be a two and a half hour podcast? I can't believe that if it is. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.